Welcome to the Roadrunner Exchange, a show that features leaders from Metropolitan State University of Denver discussing the projects, initiatives, and decisions impacting our campus community. I am your host, Dr. Samuel J., Director of Faculty Affairs and Associate Professor of Communication Studies. Today I talk with Dr. Liz Goodnick, longtime MSU Denver professor and new faculty senate president, about her long and complex relationship with philosophy, academia, and leveraging her seat at the leadership table. Hope you'll enjoy. you introduce yourself this is your first podcast podcast yes. list good nick uh we're back uh, the roadrunner exchange has returned this is the first of what will be a series of conversations with faculty leaders so with that said will you introduce yourself hi i'm liz goodnick that was, I... very, that was very enthusiastic I'm, I'm excited was, for my good. first podcast oh, ever. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm Liz Goodnick. I'm an associate professor of philosophy and okay. the president of faculty senate We'll talk about Faculty Senate. We just had a really long conversation about, you know, your summer. But I, and I, I want to dive into to your work, to your research a little bit. So okay. first off, where'd you go to undergrad? What'd you study? Um, I went to undergrad at, do you want to know where I graduated from or all the places all I All the went? places that you went. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I started off at Bard College okay. in um, upstate New York. Okay. Not that far upstate, like near Kingston, no Rhinebeck. Is, Rhine- okay. Yeah, um, but I only went there for one year. It was not my jam. Okay. Um, then why? What sucked about it? Like, I thought it'd be really cool to be in a kind of isolated liberal arts college. Yeah. But it turned out no, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. it was isolating and weird. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but I had a really fancy scholarship okay. that also was an influence. So I didn't tell my parents until like literally the day I was supposed to go back mm-hmm. that I didn't want to go back. They kind of freaked out. Okay. Um, they had taken off vacation to like drive me back. Um, so they left anyway. <laughs> Wait, they, okay. So you told them and they were like, you know what? We're going to go on vacation anyway. Yeah. Okay. They were All so right. mad. Like, I mean, they'd taken off work to drive me. They were like, you're literally throwing away $120,000. Where'd they go instead? They like got some last minute deal on a Caribbean cruise. Okay. Like you know they how you can really get those pissed. like last. They were really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so then I like didn't have a backup plan. Okay. So I lived at home back with my parents for like my sophomore year. Okay. Um, and I took ish some classes at the community college. Which is where? 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 What home? Where's um, home? it's a suburb of St. Louis, but in Illinois. What's the name of it? O'Fallon. I know where it is. My really? wife's from Chesterfield. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. But not O'Fallon, Missouri. No, no, O'Fallon, no but I know O'Fallon. Yeah, yeah, her, yeah. her college roommate was okay. from O'Fallon, oh. Illinois. Yes. Crazy. I know. You probably know her, but I I'm might. not going to mention her name because, yeah. Yeah, tell me after. She didn't like me very much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I lived there. I, like, waited tables and took a few classes at community college, but okay. not a ton because I don't even – I'm not even sure I took any of the first semester. It's a little bit hard for me okay. to remember because, like, this was, like, August 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but then I transferred to University of Illinois, Chicago. Okay. Actually, where our current provost uh, worked yes. for a long time. UIC. UIC. And I uh, graduated. It took me a little bit of extra time, so I graduated, like, I was a super senior, but mm-hmm. only for one semester. Dumb question. Where is UIC in Chicago? Is it, like downtown-ish? Kind of. It's in the South Loop. So it's like, so like, how familiar with Chicago Pretty are Pretty familiar. Yeah. Okay. So do you know where like, so you know, like Lakeshore Drive? Yep. yep okay. Yep. So like, you know where, 
like the big museum yes, off of Lakeshore yes, Drive is. Yes, so yes. it's like a, a little bit farther north than that, but not a lot. Okay, okay. And, but like in more. Yes. Away all from right. the lake. I feel like I've yeah. driven past there. So yeah. Sometimes. So it's okay. at like Roosevelt, like 1200 uh, South. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. I do. I swear. I know. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. grew up in Iowa, but I spent a lot of time okay. in Chicago. Yeah. So. So, so I finished out there, right. um, majored in philosophy. They have a fantastic philosophy department, actually. Um, yeah. And then, so okay, so there. that's undergrad. Okay, that's so undergrad. undergrad. Okay. And then, I, well, well, let's just. Stop. I mean, you're a faculty member for, for life. You love it, right? Yeah. You haven't gone yet to the dark side like Correct. I have. Yeah. What was there? A, was the moment in in undergrad when you thought I want to continue along this path? Oh, or was it grad school? So it was no. Well, so I. It was interesting. Yeah. I there's. There's not a lot of women in philosophy, Okay. okay. <laughs> um, especially this was in the 90s yes. when I was in college. Um, and a professor uh-huh. who, like it was UIC, so it was this huge school. So there was like 250 people in the class. Yeah. But we had TAs with like breakout mm-hmm. sessions. And I guess, I don't, I don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but I guess like a TA sort of talked to the professor about me, like, hey, there's oh. a really good student. So he invited me out to lunch. Okay. And like... Talk to me about like maybe you should think about. So you were like, really smart in, in undergrad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and humble, obviously. <laughs> I don't know about smart, but I was like really good at yeah, philosophy. Like you went I took to it. To it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I mean, I did. I kind of knew about philosophy in high school. Okay. Um. Not directly, but <laughs> we the high school I went to had like a humanities. Yes. class where it was like all the humanities together but I wasn't in that but my roommate was okay. I went to boarding school okay. for high school and my roommate was in that class and one of the professors who taught it Martha Regalis was a philosopher okay. and I like helped my roommate with some papers uh-huh. Uh-huh. um yes. I'm so familiar with helping. yeah <laughs> It's a good way to get beer money. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I helped my room with some papers. And so I read a little bit of philosophy and, okay. like, kind of knew about it. Yeah. But then I didn't take any philosophy classes freshman year. Mm-hmm. But I did take a classics class. Okay. Bard had, like, a... Yes. Yeah, your, your typical like a classics classic. class. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, like, you also read a little bit of philosophy in there. Yeah. And then I took just, like, an intro to philosophy class at the community college. Oh. Um, and was like, oh, this is kind of cool. So then when I got to UIC, I still hadn't declared a major, but I was like, well, I'll just take a couple philosophy classes for general studies requirements. And then it was like, oh, this is amazing. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. And then my professor... Um, so you have lunch with the professor. So I have lunch with the professor. He's all like, you should yeah. major. You should think about grad school, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I did all that. Um, I ended up doing an honors thesis with a professor at the University of Chicago, Dan Garber. Mm-hmm. Um, in early modern, though, not what I currently work on, like specifically, but the, I still work in that same time period in history. Okay. Um, and he was like... So amazing and supportive and helped me turn my master th- or my undergrad thesis into a writing sample um, and helped me like figure out which schools to apply to and all okay. that. He like really helped me with the process. I mean, not that like people at my institution did as well, but yeah. he was like a really great mentor to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. It's extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I graduated in December and then I started at the University of Michigan for graduate school in the next like September, so I had a little semester oh and God. a half break. So you went. To, you were in Ann Arbor. I was in Ann Arbor. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, it's a good town. Yeah. Good so time. I went to Michigan. Okay. Um, I had a complicated graduate school experience. Okay. Um, tell. 
Tell what you can. Yeah. So I was working with Ed Curley, who is a fantastic human, on Spinoza, who's a philosopher. Um, and I wrote like about affect in my oh, dissertation. Okay. And like it just wasn't going great. Um, Ed, like he's a fantastic human, but our styles weren't like yeah. super matching. Um, <laughs> and I just like had some other issues. I had a sort of negative encounter with another professor. Um, and like Michigan was not great for women, really, to be honest, at the time. So I took a break. Okay. Um, and then Liz Anderson, who, if you don't know Elizabeth Anderson, like you need to know her because she's amazing. Okay. Um, she was the director of graduate studies and she like persuaded me to come back. Okay. Um, and her advice was to like change topic, change advisors and change topics. Okay. So I switched to working with Liz Loeb. Um, I switched to working on Hume. Yeah. And Ed stayed on my committee, but like he was better for like a. It matters. That kind of like committee yes. member in the background, more yes. nice, nice grandfatherly guy. And Lewis was like on top of it, getting me feedback right away. Like yeah. he always asked me before I left his office, like, do you know what to do next? Okay. Instead of like leaving his office in despair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was fantastic. Liz also mm -hmm. stayed on my committee. She became a committee member and was like really supportive and helped me get through a lot of the like being a woman in a male-dominated field yes. stuff. Um, and yeah, so then I eventually finished. Um, <laughs> and that was your master's? That, no, it Both. was PhD master's combined. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I, basically after the master's, that's when I took okay. a break. Okay. Um, and then I started back again Yeah. Um, with like a new – so I had to do stuff over because um, like my – I didn't have a dissertation proposal. You, you know, I had to like yeah. start over kind of. Not start over with classes, yeah. but start over with like. So it took me a little bit longer What's finish. that like, the master's and PhD program from the same place? Because I didn't do that, but I know people who mm. have. But I never really asked and had that conversation. Like, is it, is there, do you, you know, I know you took a break, but is there a clear distinction between those experiences? No. In terms of content? No. Mm -mm. Okay. So like, you don't even really... Like, you have to fill out paperwork to get the master's degree, but, like, it, it's just, like, you take two full years of classes, yeah. and then your third year you work on, like, this portfolio thing. Okay. Basically, okay. one to three papers, depending on how long they are. Okay. Um, and then, like, at the end of that, you can fill out paperwork for your master's. Okay. Um, but can there's no... Does some people just stop? Yes. They do. Some people do. I know have several friends who... Stopped there, like went to law school, did something else, whatever. And then that is a time where they, they also like encourage some people to leave. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. You have to. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Some people are lazy. Or just like it's not their thing. It's not their thing. Or, yeah. Right? Yeah. You either do it or you don't. Yeah. Right? So that's a common place where people leave because okay. um, then you still get – the masters, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Somebody's gonna get really pissed off that I just said masters people are lazy. <laughs> they just stop. That's not They're what not I lazy. meant. No, but That's like some people just aren't into it, right? Yeah. And like it's not for them. And you it's know, it's a grind. It's a grind. And the yeah. politics of it will eat you alive. Yeah, yeah. That's... So it's you know, so I get it. Um, yeah, but then I came back um, and I had to sort of start over ish. Okay. 
um, with like a whole new dissertation proposal right. and defend my prospectus and all that stuff. Um, and then write the dissertation. It was a little complicated because I ran out of funding. Okay. Um, so I had a adjunct at Washtenaw Community College and Eastern Michigan University nearby. Yeah, yep. um, but that, you know, kind of drug it out even more because, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it took me 10 years from like start to finish. Okay. Um, and then I had three one-year positions. Where No, is that right? Well, so my partner graduated before me. We met in grad school, okay. and he was at Illinois Wesleyan. So I actually went down there. Where's that? It's in Bloomington Normal. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so I went down there and did like a adjuncted there for okay. a while and finished up. There are two schools in Bloomington. Is it Illinois State there? I think yeah. I've been there. Okay. Anyhow. Yeah, Illinois Wesleyan is like a tiny liberal arts school, okay. and it's in Bloomington. And then ISU is like a big state yeah. school and it's a normal. But okay. Bloomington Normal, like, you cannot tell them apart. It's like one town yeah. with two names. Champaign-Urbana. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that some weird Illinois thing? No. I guess Kansas City is like that, too. Like yeah. the Missouri and Kansas parts. Yeah, they're just the can't. same. Yeah. Well, Iowa City and Coralville are like that in Iowa. Like okay. Kansas City. Yeah. Maybe it's a Midwestern thing. It's, I, don't know. I think yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they started oh, small towns. Oh, because there's the Minneapolis thing, Minneapolis, too, right? St. Paul. Yeah. 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 Listen, listen to us. Yeah. Anyhow, continue. Anyhow, Recommence. so uh, what so you're in, I, you're in Iowa or uh, Iowa. oh, so I was Illinois, Illinois Wesleyan yeah. finishing out my dissertation. Then I went to a one year like visiting assistant mm-hmm. thing at University of Washington in Seattle. Okay. Okay. Then I did a one year postdoc at the Notre Dame Center for Philosophy of Religion because my dissertation is on David Hume, but yeah. his philosophy of religion. Okay. Um, then I did a one year at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. Oh, my gosh. Then I finally got the job here. So, I mean, wow. I consider Denver kind of like Western Midwest, but you're talking like Seattle and Oklahoma. Those are not Midwestern places. Like, were you out of your element in those places? Or did you did you like – I mean, I guess Seattle's a great place, but Seattle's Norman, Oklahoma is not great <laughs> for me. Okay. I mean – like, I – so my partner and I were apart the okay. whole year yeah. doing, like, the long-distance thing. I I turned out I have seasonal affective disorder. That's not a place Which for I that. didn't really know uh, until yeah. I lived there. No. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, like, the – it was on the quarter system. Okay. It was also just, like, crazy difficult because – like, all of a sudden, I was from grad school and then thrown into, like, a high teaching load. I had I had one of those big 250-person yeah. classes with TAs that I had to supervise. I had a graduate class. Like, I had upper – it was a lot of work yeah. Yeah, yeah. and pretty stressful. And I was missing my partner. And then it was on the quarter system. So, like, that was a big adjustment for me. So the quarter that, like, started after Christmas okay. until spring break mm-hmm. was 10 weeks. I got the flu. Then that led to this like secondary reaction called pityriasis rosacea. Okay. It's like this rash. Yep, yep, yep. Um, a lot of people get it on their wedding, actually. It's sometimes oh. caused by stress, okay. and, but also sometimes like triggered by viruses. Okay. Then I scratched my cornea. This all happened in one semester. Then like my students kind of revolted and freaked mm-hmm. out and like got mad at me oh. and like complained to the chair about me because okay. I was missing a lot of classes because I was really sick. <laughs> Um, and that whole quarter for those 10 weeks, I also didn't see my partner because he was also doing an academic job in Illinois. Yeah. Um, 
So it was rough. It was hard. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it was like the darkest, rainiest, most horrific time of year. So I t- I made it through. Okay. You persevered. <laughs> I persevered, but it was very, very challenging. Um, luckily, I made some good friends okay. um, who kind of like helped me. Yeah. Um, but it was brutal. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of glad to like leave Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was not the best it's not time for, for me. Yeah. Um, the summer's great. Love the summer. Yeah. Hate the winter. <laughs> it's like Vegas. A little bit of it goes a long way unless yeah. you're a yeah. Vegas person. Yeah. So. So, yeah. So then. Um, what was Norman like? Oklahoma. I mean, pretty much like what you would expect. The closest. I mean, I li- I went to North Texas for my master's. So okay. So far. Yeah. But. It was 117 degrees the day I moved into my apartment. Oh, gosh. It was hot. <laughs> it was hot. It was dry. There, the year I was there, there were like the Moore tornado and the El Reno tornado. Oh, so these yeah. like big tornado, like the Moore one like went through an elementary school and killed a bunch of kids. Um, I was supposed to do a triathlon the day of the El Reno tornado, okay. but it got canceled because okay. of the tornado. As yeah. we were driving back home, there was like dead cows and stuff oh. that had gotten like... Tossed? Yeah. Like Twister style. Yeah. I just made a joke about Um yeah. So it was a lot. Um, and then how'd you get here? I mean, I just like applied for yeah. jobs. What and year? Got a job. I started here in 2013. 2013. That's yeah. about the same time I did. Tell me about Hume, please. Tell me about Hume. Okay. Like, what the? I don't know. <laughs> Again, rhetorician. So that's that's my, my yeah. closest relationship to philosophy. Okay. But sure. What is what is the the kind of intro to Hume summarization? So Hume lived from 1711 to 1776. Very good. Okay. Um, he was Scottish philosopher, okay. but spent a lot of time in France actually. Okay. Um, he never was able to secure an academic position uh-huh. um, because he was known as the great infidel. Infidel. Oh, okay. So he's sort of a known anti-religious yeah. person. Yeah. Um, some scholarly debate about whether or not he was like a full-on atheist or okay. like a deist or agnostic or some people think, not me, but um, that he sort of had like a very minimal theism type of belief. Okay. Um, but like certainly not... No. Full on. Um, so that made it difficult for him to secure an academic position. Okay. Um, so he had like various um, sort of political positions. Mm-hmm. He spent a bunch of time in France. Um, at the beginning of his career, he spent time at La Flèche, which is just a monastery, okay. um, reading in their library and writing. Then later he returned to France um, and was active in like the salon culture mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. He was not just a philosopher. He has uh, an eight-volume History of England series of books, which actually gained him literary notoriety. He was not super famous for his philosophy, especially in the beginning of his career. Okay. Um, There's a famous quote where he says his Treatise of Human Nature, which was like the first full-length book he wrote, fell stillborn from the press. Um, A little bit of an exaggeration, but like, yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay. So... He and he has tons of essays about all different kinds of topics. All right. Um, so from politics, economics, he was friends with Adam Smith. Uh-huh. Um, very interested in economics. He was, well, he was like frenemies with Rousseau. Um, so they started off friends and then had this like big falling out. There's a great book called Rousseau's Dog that you can read all about it. Okay. Um, and his philosophy is really interesting. Um, he's 
definitely, it's kind of funny, like, he's really influenced by the science of his time and yeah. a huge admirer of Newton. But in the treatise, which was his first book, he has a whole first book where he talks about like space and time and stuff, but he's not good at math and not very good at science. Um, (laughs) So like after the treatise, he abandons talking about that kind of stuff and focuses more on like what he knows, um, which is what he would call the science of human nature. Um, So he basically, there's a lot of psychology, which wasn't really a thing then, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. kind of like introspection about the way the mind works. Mm Um, he was very interested in like how, to what extent and how humans can acquire knowledge, okay. um, which is, that's a big topic at the time period because, you know, basically like 150 years before that, <laughs> before Descartes, mm-hmm. everyone pretty much thought like, well, knowledge is sort of like through tradition, authority, has a lot to do with the church, et cetera. But during the scientific revolution, people were like, well, actually... Right, we can like make observations and discover yeah. things and learn things. So he was what's known as an empiricist, um, which is someone who believes that like um, primarily our knowledge comes from like observation from the senses. Yeah. Um, so, but he also had like a real skeptical um, vein. Okay. So one of his most famous um, sort of ideas is what's now known today as the problem of induction. Okay. So basically, he's like, well, how do you know, for example, that the sun is going to rise tomorrow? Because, like, it rose mm-hmm. yesterday and the day before and the day before. But, like, why – what makes you think that, like, tomorrow is going to be like yesterday? Or, like, what makes you think yeah. that things are going to be consistent? Well, because, like, they have been consistent. Yeah. But you'll see that's kind of like a circular argument, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Like, well, if you're just basing it on the past – then you can't really guarantee that it's going to continue the way it has been in the past. Your only evidence for that is the past, but like, right. So it's like this nice little weird circle that he sort of is kind of famous for. Like if you Google problem of induction, Hume, yeah. Um, But that's not actually the stuff that, I mean, I teach that and I Mm -hmm. know about that, but I'm much more interested in his philosophy of religion, um, which also has like a major skeptical (laughs) um, vein. You'll be unsurprised to learn. he has a really important work that actually wasn't published until after he died, though he worked on it kind of off and on throughout his entire life. He tried to get Adam Smith to publish it, but he didn't. Okay. He was, like, too scared, basically. Uh, um, it's a, it's called Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion, and it's three main characters sort of debating different positions. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, pretty clear that the more skeptical um, character is, like, the winner yep. of the debate. Yep. Um, He also has another really interesting work called A Natural History of Religion. And in that work, he kind of describes like sort of like armchair anthropology Mm -hmm. slash sociology, like how he thinks like belief in God and gods. So including like polytheistic beliefs and stuff originated like in human nature. Okay. Millions. I don't know about millions, but like that tens of thousands of years ago. Okay. Um, This is pre-Darwin. So Mm -hmm. like. There's some proto-evolutionary stuff in there, but like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah so it's more of like a Freudian type account. All right, all um, right. I mean, it's not Freudian, Nobody but like that type saying. of yeah. thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, where like basically people are scared mm-hmm. and like they don't know what's going to happen in the future, and they start to like basically anthropomorphize mm-hmm. natural like rivers and suns yeah. and stuff, yeah. and then they start to like pray to them to try to like control their so Hume's the first one thing. to really have this idea. Not really the first one, but he's a very early pioneer of this okay. type of idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, so 
the combination of sort of like that, which was published during his lifetime, insanely, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. and the the dialogues like really work together to sort of, I think, produce like a very skeptical picture about the truth okay. of um, most religious belief. He's also like super, super, super um, anti-Catholic, okay. which is not surprising for a Scott yeah. um, during his time. Yeah. But he does these like really tricky things where he sort of is like, you think like Catholic belief is ridiculous? Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm very, I need to read some Hume. Hume is great. Okay. Hume is right. fantastic. And a fantastic writer. Um, the, both the natural history, history and the dialogues are short, easy to read, okay. like beautiful, yeah. beautiful writer. Your story about you sounds a lot like the Hume story. Do you, did were you drawn to Hume because you were kind? Not, I'm not saying an outsider, but a natural cynic. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like I was the kid who, like, you know, figured out there was no Santa uh -huh. when I was like five, yeah. and got mad at my parents for lying, yeah. and yeah. you know that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, um, I I remember like when I was 13, um, I got in a fight with the bishop. Okay. <laughs> over my confirmation name okay and my mom and i was like i don't this is stupid like i don't want to do this i yeah. don't believe in any of this and she was like just do this like for your grandparents um and then you never have to go to church again and i didn't and you didn't have to <laughs> Gosh. yeah so i did get confirmed but then i literally never went to church again i mean i've been since then for like my aunt's wedding and stuff but yeah. i think that's when i probably stopped was after yeah. confirmation yeah which i just hated it, it yeah it was just a, a year long well i just thought it was Bullshit. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that's you're obviously much smarter than I am. But, <laughs> um, uh, no, no, no. It's it's a. Uh, I mean, I tend to. I you know, Foucault, and Kenneth Burke are kind of my go-to's when it comes okay, to yeah. thought. But just you know, the manipulate the manipulation of language. Yeah. Right. Like cannot be understated. And yeah. if you're in power, you can do anything with words to get people to do what you want them to do. And that's really scary. Yeah, that is scary. So yeah. when you're talking about Hume and just, you know, that person who comes, who begins the anthropomorph anthropomorphization yeah. has so much power when it comes to like a tribal society. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, then I'm going to follow the lead of this person who was yeah. named this river. Yeah. Right? Or give a, you know, some kind of sentient being, sentient element to it. It's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about faculty center. Okay. We could probably talk about philosophy yeah. for the rest I mean, of the day. I mean, I could for I mean, sure, this yeah. is great. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So you got here in 2013. All right. Yeah. But, but how long have you served on faculty center? The, the whole time. The entire time? Yeah. Okay. Why? What was, I mean. So it's kind of like normal in my department that new faculty members um, are encouraged to okay. serve on Senate. Um, just as a way to like meet people, get to know how yeah. the university works. It's a you know, form of service that yeah. um, gets you out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you you learn a lot of stuff and yeah. you meet people and it's a good way to kind of like get introduced to the university. Um, so it's pretty standard, yeah. I think. Like a lot of people in my department, we have a junior faculty member now who, you know, yeah. is on Senate. Um, so yeah, so I just was like, okay, sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I was really involved with the graduate student union mm -hmm. at, um, at Michigan. Okay. So I had sort of done shared governance stuff in okay. the past. Okay. Um, I mean, in a different way, but like, yeah, we were a recognized union who bargained, um, uh -huh. with the university. So I was on like a bargaining team one year. Okay. 
So, you know, I had like... You were, your academics and your politics. Yeah, the, the they, they combined a little already, uh-huh. so it sounded like a good fit for me. So, right. like, my first year, I just, like, did nothing besides yeah. Senate. Like, I didn't serve on any committees. Okay. Um, then my second year, I joined Diversity Committee. Okay. Um, and then... Eventually, I became chair of diversity committee. I'm okay. not sure what exact year that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that put me on the executive committee mm-hmm. of faculty senate when Matt Makeley was president. Okay. Um, and then when Katia ran for president, she asked me to be her vice president because she had you know, known me from EC yep. and yep. DEI work. Um, and then I was vice president for three years. And then I was elected president in May. Congratulations, Thank you. by the way. That's awesome. You're, I mean, new presidency, different. I mean, you and Katia went through some shit, right? Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, taking Senate online yeah. and all of that. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. What were, I mean, as open as you can be, what were some of the major challenges that you faced over the last three years as VP? Oh, my God. Chat. (laughs) Chat, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Senate has like 120 people um, plus guests. Mm -hmm. And when we first went online, like we, the chat was crazy. Um, It was, I mean, it like, I mean, it was a stressful time for everyone, but like the internet trolls, but our colleagues, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then it was just impossible to keep up with the chat. Eventually we shut the chat down, but that was like not good. Yeah. Oh my God, that summer, like all the budget discussions were so stressful. Yeah. So depressing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, trying to make decisions. I was also involved with the Economic Policy Committee, um, trying to figure out, like, just on the fly, right? Like, oh, what are we going to do about all these students who suddenly have to go online? So, like, the pass fail policy, you know, Mm -hmm. all these policies. That had to go through super quickly. So I don't think anybody really that, knows, right, faculty, of what went on that summer. Oh so, my God. <laughs> I mean, was it just because I think faculty, a lot of us were doing the Canvas training, right? Like that yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, I did all that too. People kind of forget. That was a wild ass summer. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, but like, meanwhile, right? <laughs> You're doing they're like, this. our enrollment is down like yeah. a million percent, and yeah. like, we have no money, and like, it's yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Just trying to, like, figure out all of that plus all the new policy implementation. You know, all this stuff, like, not just in the summer, but the mm-hmm. spring and summer um, were just crazy. Meanwhile, we're, like, trying to figure out how to run meetings on teams. Yeah. And, you know, neither Katia or I, I don't think she'll be upset if I say this, are, like, super tech people. Yeah. Right? Um, so thank God we had um, a few... People who could do it could do that, um, but it was rough, man. <laughs> just... Um, just like yeah, and you know, meanwhile, like it's a pandemic. No one's leaving their house. I live in a four hundred sixty-four square foot apartment. All right. Um, I didn't even have a desk when the pandemic started, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so I had to like order one, but it took forever. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm like sitting on my couch trying to work. <laughs> meanwhile, my husband, who's a student, okay, is like. Also trying to take classes. Yeah. We have no, like, yeah. separate. It's, like, so small. <laughs> I'm just, like, screaming all day uh-huh. into my computer. Yeah. I am try- I was teaching a logic class, so I had, like, set up a board like this in my living room and, like, stacked books on a chair to, like, show the screen, you know, so yeah. I could, like, do logic problems on the board. What did all we learn? this, meanwhile, you know. You're doing all the community. What, yeah. what, did, what did we learn as faculty? 
during COVID? Like, until, let's just get into that, right? I mean, you're a very candid oh person. Yeah. Um, we can talk about faculty senate, but I mean, it's 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 interesting. You were like the most engaged faculty senator ever. I spent <laughs> one year in faculty senate and then became affiliate coordinator. So I was like, oh, I'm done with faculty senate. Yeah. And it was just uh, it was a lot of <clears throat> David Cotton study. Uh, if you are listening, which you probably don't, just David getting up and, and going on these long winded you know responses to. Oh yeah, things. I mean we had yeah. some of those. Yeah. You know, yeah. Craig was always Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I understand that can be irritating to people, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really important that people have their voices heard. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't want to live in a dictatorship yeah. for my normal life. I don't want to live in a dictatorship for my work life. Like, yeah. this is a huge... Think about, I mean, as an academic, like, I probably spend 60 to 80 hours a week yeah. on my job. Yeah. This is a huge part of my life. Um, I think to... To have a more democratic um, sort of rule, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, because your your boss is like kind of your king in a yeah. way, right? Yeah. Um, and to sort of mitigate that as much as possible, and to have people making decisions about what happens to the institution and their life, mm -hmm. and that's so important that it's worth you know tolerating some annoying speeches or whatever on the Senate floor. Um, for me, I know other people. Not no, 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 no. <laughs> I think that there, this yeah. is, this is no, this is no dig uh, at Matt or Andrew, yeah. but I think there's something to be said about Katia and now you taking over faculty Senate, having never been in some sort of kind of departmental leadership role, oh, right. yeah. um, you know, like really coming not from a junior faculty perspective, right? But a relatively new tenured faculty perspective, yeah. right? Like the grind is real. It is fresh. It, yeah. is, it is. I mean, in that you've almost kind of entered into this place in this new era of faculty senate where we as faculty, I feel like, are setting policy as or, or on the verge of getting there as opposed to just reacting to the policy that comes from upper administration. Yeah. Which is what a faculty senate should do, right? Yes. Like yeah. you bring it to the table and you negotiate. Yeah. So does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And I mean, that's for sure like what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to um, really share that governance yeah. and have an equal stake. I mean, we have an equal stake um, yeah. and trying to have an equal share and like what, yeah. what happens and what decisions are made. I know like in the end of the day – you know, to a certain extent, like the board of trustees are the rulers and yeah. the president is kind of like the king. But um, we've been lucky from what I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I don't know that much about Jordan. Like I wasn't really that involved mm -hmm. in leadership. But with Janine, like who's been just super respectful of our decisions and our ideas and thoughts. And like, yeah. you know, she doesn't always agree with what we yeah. um, want. But yeah. She's been extremely receptive. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a yes, good thing. for sure. That's, yeah. Uh, what do you, I guess, okay, let, let, let's, let's think about this for a second. I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you want listeners of this interview? Upper administration, middle, you know, staff, have you, whoever, to understand about the faculty experience Throughout COVID and now, right? There's been so much written in the Chronicle and, and other, you know, uh, publications about higher ed, about, you know, exhaustion, all this. But yeah. from a faculty member, what, 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 what is it? What is it meant? What is the experience? I mean, 
The burnout is real. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think really the most important thing is like, if you are interested in helping students and if you're interested in helping students succeed, helping students graduate, mm-hmm. helping retain students, like the faculty, we are the people on the ground yeah. every day. We know, I'm not saying we know everything, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of insight as to how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just like, mm-hmm. We've been through it with them, right? Yeah. Like we were on those Teams meetings with them. I was in my apartment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, writing on the board um, in my apartment. So we are, our boots are on the ground. Like we've been doing literally everything we can to try to help our students succeed. Mm-hmm. And we want to continue doing that. And as we sort of rebound and things change and it's a weird time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think the most important thing is like we... We're in it. We've done it. Yeah. We. The emotional investment. Yeah. Has been. I mean, you lot. don't get into. You don't come to a place like MSU Denver because you just want to be closed up in your office and doing research. No. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and you know, like, I haven't heard her say this in a while, but for a while, Davidson was like, "Students, students, students," mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that's all the faculty. That's what we're here for, yeah. and that's what brings us joy and. Um, yeah. That's what we we want. You know, when we're saying, dude, we got to have less committee work yeah. or we need a reduced teaching load yeah. or we need this. Like, it's not because we want to go take naps or no. whatever, right? We want to use that time to, like, really help our students succeed and to keep them here and to get them to graduate and to get them to pass classes in, like, a really stressful time for them, yeah. right? A self-serving question. Um, (laughs) I think that upper administration, I think Sophia Tran can probably uh, affirm this, right? There is not a disconnect between upper administration and, you know, faculty. That's not what I mean. I think that there's a natural kind of uh, 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 maybe miscommunication just because of the – not the hierarchy, but the organization, right, the way that it is. But I think faculty affairs, right? Uh, Bill and I exist for that reason, right, to kind of serve as this – to bridge it. What – what do faculty need to know when a decision comes from the top that has, you know, ultimately taken input from faculty, but right at the end of the day, it's Janine's or it's Alfred's decision to make. That is, that is their job. That is their, that is their role. What makes the kind of, uh, uh, the palatability of the decision more pronounced for faculty? It's like transparency for sure. Okay. Right. Um, and, I'm going to get into like a little bit of social philosophy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so John Rawls, famous philosopher, wrote yeah. in the 50s. Um, you he, really make me feel he dumb. He kind of brought back great. political liberalism. Okay. Okay. Um, and one of his yeah. ideas is this idea of public reason. Okay. Yep. Um, and basically what he says is like in a democracy, um, you have to justify your decisions mm-hmm. um, on the basis of public reason. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, it means that it needs to be justified on a system of shared values, but yeah. where you're not necessarily assuming um, a particular good. So, okay. for example, in the United States, 
um, a public reason cannot be a religious reason. Okay. Right? Because mm-hmm. you can't assume that everyone in the United States shares yeah. that same religious outlook as yes. you. Right? Yes. So if you're going to, if you believe something on the basis of your religious beliefs or whatever your mm-hmm. conception of the good is, right? Yeah. That's fine. Yes. But when you explain those reasons to someone else in a, a liberal society, you have to use reasons that like you both can latch onto. Yep. Right. So there has to be some shared system of values about like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, Uh, whatever, that kind of stuff. Right. That's sort of shared amongst the political body who's the country. So I think it's really important for, you know, leadership when they're doing things transparently um, to like explain, you know, why the decision was made, what the impact has, et cetera. But to also use to explain it yeah. using reasons that are available um, to everyone to at the everybody. institution using our shared values, yes. right? Um, whatever cadre on the wall, yeah. things like that. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like things that um, we all sort of share in common yes. as an institution of higher education, yes. especially given our mission, you know, as MSU Denver to like serve our students, to serve yeah. the state of Colorado and things like that. So to use sort of like explanations of their decision in terms of our shared values. You're speaking my language now. <laughs> Have you ever read uh, Tom Goodnight's Spheres of Argument before? No. All right, I'm going to send it to you. Okay. So Because he makes his, his, his theory is that um, we argue according to three different forms of logic, the private slash personal, the technical, and then the public, right? Yeah. So depending on which space you're in. But he, he was kind of like... 200 or 200, 20 years way ahead of it because we've now become the society that argues through the technical in a lot of ways oh, or right. the private slash personal. Yeah. Right? So it's like, no, that's a bad public policy because you hurt my feelings. Yeah. Like that's not, no, no, yeah. no you can't do that. Right. Or yeah. that's a good public policy because I'm a doctor and I say, I say right. that. Like, yeah. no, 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 that's yeah. not how it works. I'll send yeah. it to you. It's, it's okay. Fantastic. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. Um, yeah. So I think that's super important, right? Like they yeah. need to explain and justify, yeah. like actually justify, not just yeah. explain, right? Yeah. Um, to justify justify those decisions yeah. in ways that faculty not just can understand, but like yeah. they can get on board with, right? Like, yeah. yes, obviously you're going to have a personal reason to prefer a raise, yes. right? Yes. But, <laughs> you know, if we're mm-hmm. not going to get raised, that's still TBD, but yeah. like assuming we don't get raises this year, right? Yeah. Why not? What, like, yeah. why was that decision made? What are we spending? I mean, Spending that money on instead. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, because enrollment's down so far, mm-hmm. like, we don't really have the money. Um, <laughs> right. But, like, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. And, like, obviously, you can be personally upset because you're not getting a raise that would help you pay your rent. Yeah. But, you know, if it's like, oh, we're not giving raises because we're going to, like, build a palace. Right. Like, so just think about, like, the American Revolution. Right. Yeah. They're taking all these taxes and then they're like, oh, why are we raising your taxes? Because we're building a palace. Well, yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. Right. Um, but if it's explained through some system of shared values that people can get behind yes. that we've already sort of agreed to, yeah. um, then I think that's different. <sighs> that makes total sense. And I think uh, faculty are uh, intelligent enough and reasonable enough to be able to say, I may not agree with that decision, but at least I understand why you made it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, that's the good. crucial part, right? Yes. If it's like... Input in black box decision out like that is not that does not help things right at all. Um, And I mean, I guess, you know, 
the king can just be like, screw you. Like, I'm doing yes. this because I want. Yes. But that, those kings often get beheaded. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. You know? I uh -huh. mean, yeah. And it's a different animal as a public, you know, a public institution. Um, yeah. You know, I've heard the story of Dan Ritchie at DU a few times. And, uh, you know, in the early 90s. I don't know who that is. So Dan Ritchie was the champ. I mean, there was a time 20, 30 years that DU was not what it is now. It was okay. kind of this really rich liberal arts uh, place okay. that wasn't like in doing any kind of earth shattering research or sure. it wasn't this place that you came to. It's just kind of where rich kids came if you were on the, in this part of the country. Right, okay. And Dan Ritchie ended up taking a ton of money out of the endowment and he's like, no, we're going to make this like a great institution. Oh. But he could do it. It was a private school right. and people were so pissed and a lot of people left yeah. and it worked out though. Like he, like this is an investment that I'm going to make and yeah. like it, it works. So, yeah. but you can't really do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as you can. much as you want to. As much as you want to. And we also yeah. don't have an endowment that big. So, well, right. Yeah. Wouldn't um, that be nice if we did? Oh. oh my gosh. But yeah, I mean, you can't do that. Not only as a, but I mean, I think that's bad practice even in a private yeah. institution, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, probably things would have gone smoother and fewer people would have left and there would have yeah. been more support if that decision was more transparent and more like, Yes. Here's my vision. Get behind my vision. You know, yeah. like I served for a long time on academic policy. Okay. And, you know, we have the people who come to APC and are like, here's my vision, you know, yeah. help me craft this policy. And we were always like, okay, great. You go talk to like the chairs and mm -hmm. different constituencies, you know, depending on what the policy is, yeah. get like support behind you. Yeah. And then this is going to go through Senate much easier uh -huh. <laughs> than if you like the first time senators hear about it is the when it hits the senate floor yes. right so like go around talk to people get yeah. support do that like knocking on doors you know kind of stuff mm -hmm. um and that's gonna make things go a lot yes. smoother when you get that yeah what is that like grassroots support you uh -huh. know yeah. um that is also a very useful strategy <laughs> how do we get okay i mean i 100 percent agree yeah but how do we make sure that our constituents do do that you know what i mean like how do we make sure that how are you how what are your plans for making sure that your faculty senators go do this next year right when you say shop this around with your departments how do you hold those folks accountable yeah, that's a tough one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, first of all, that's your job, right? I mean, that's that's it that's is your job. correct. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, trying to make that easy. Okay. So, um, you know, providing slides, providing okay. arguments, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Um, things they can actually take back to their yes. department, things they can send to their department, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, just like talking about it as like like. We have a fantastic um, chairs of the rules committee, mm -hmm. Kelly, and now I'm blanking on her last name. Evans. Yes, thank yes, you. Yes. Um, Kelly Evans, who's fantastic. She's um, written up <laughs> like parliamentary or parliamentary. Yes, besides right? our, I mean, I learned, speaking of what I learned, oh probably to be honest, the thing I learned the most in COVID was Robert's rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and like technology stuff. Um, but she's created an amazing sort of like, document yeah. handbook like here's what your job is as a senator here are your duties here's the expectations yeah. um so making that clear and transparent to people like it really is their job yeah. to do these types of things um and then you know for the important committees like if people and this isn't just faculty like administrators whoever mm -hmm. right if they want a policy to come through senate like the eight like jessica 
But now Jenny Allard, who's going to be new, like, will tell, like, will just be like, you have to do this, yeah. right? Or we are not going to bring it on the Senate floor. Yeah. Or if you insist we bring it on the Senate floor, like, here's how we're going to announce it. Here's this thing. No one knows about it. No one supports it already. Yeah. Like, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we won't vote yes. So um, there are different ways to kind of go about that. Yeah. I think on an individual level, you know, just trying to make it as easy for people as possible. Um, but it's hard work. Like, I was on the Gen- General Studies Renovation Task Force okay. when we renovated the General Studies. Yes. Um, and I was the Arts and Fantasy Lead. And I literally went and had meetings with every single chair who teaches who has arts and humanities courses and general studies, which is a lot of chairs. That was a lift. That was huge. Is that Kia stuff too? Yeah. yeah, Every single chair I went and met with and talked to them about the new SLOs, what they thought of them, got like just literally boots on the ground, going to offices, talking to people. Yeah. Um, And now they pass Senate, like they're running great. We've done a whole assessment cycle. Like, it's been great, but it was because of that upfront buy-in investment from the faculty, you know, to, like, get on board. And how did that happen? Just, like, literally, I just went out and met with every single chair, and we talked about it in Senate repeatedly, you know, just like that. Yeah. I think that what you're pointing out is a lot of the natural growing pain pains of a younger university like ours in the sense that like come what you're putting out or what you're putting what you're, what you're you know explaining is like a set of processes or supports that exist that would make uh the the work of faculty or staff or administrators um not necessarily easier but it allows them to kind of go through these step-by-step procedures in yeah. a way that maybe isn't a massive lift for them um so you know uh, i'm thinking about you know, Bill and I are working on disciplinary procedures, right? Yeah. And what and what our associate deans and our chairs have to do. For how many years that has just been in the faculty handbook, and you just have to go to the faculty handbook and like walk yourself through it, and it's really not that conducive to actually efficient <laughs> disciplinary procedures. Yeah. So it's like no, we like just a one page handout of here's what a disciplinary procedure looks like. Like it just helps people. It's, yeah. it's this kind of stuff. So yeah. I appreciate you saying that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think. And you can also, there's a political component to it, not what we're doing, right? We're very clean and not political. (laughs) But I'm sure from a faculty senate perspective, right, when you are presenting this information, you can you can frame it in a way as a faculty senate leader that you want it framed. You can. Yeah, right? Yes. So that sounds terrible. Um, I I feel like I'm taking way too much of your, oh my God, we've talked for an hour, uh, Liz. Um, I want to say this, and then I'll I'll let you close with anything you want. Um, I'm very excited. it's nice to have somebody like you in this position. It's nice to have you in this position, <laughs> right? And I would say the same thing about Katia and yeah. all the previous, uh, you know, folks. But I think the fact that you are a philosopher and your background in philosophy and and your approach to what you are doing is really going to be a nice, fresh addition because I feel like at the end of the day, you're going to push really hard for faculty but you're also the kind of person that I'm sure would be completely open to go having a coffee or a beer with Janine and Alfred in the AVP. Like, like at the end of the, like whatever happens at that table and in that room stays in that room and then it's done, <laughs> right? But that's how it should be, yeah. right? Like it can't like no hard feelings. Like this is this is how the world this is how it works in our organization. Any good high functioning organization, right? And I think you bring that to the table and it's really exciting. Like that you're going to fight, but it's also you're not going to like there's not going to be a, a bunch of built up resentment, right? Once the door closes. Yeah, no. I mean, I think 
you know, as a philosopher, it's really important when you're like philosophers argue a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not the kind of argument that um, is like a fight. Right. Right. It's yes. an argument between people who recognize each other as, you know, mm-hmm. full, capable, mm-hmm. Kantian agents or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say, right, where there's a um, level of mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is something that's crucial to having any kind of argument, yeah. debate, shared governance, et cetera, right, to, to treat the people my colleagues in Senate, right, the people in departments, the staff members, whoever, right, yeah. the administration, higher, upper, lower, whatever you want yeah. to say, right, as sort of people that we are in a respectful dialogue with. Yes. And yes, I will, you know, argue yeah. passionately and forcefully for what I think is right yeah. um, and what I think is going to help faculty. But yeah, always with that sort of background of mutual respect. And I think like this comes across in my style, which sometimes is a little much for people, but I'm very straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of my like number one absolute values in other people and myself is honesty. Okay. Um, and so I take that really seriously. But I think that's like being honest and straightforward is a condition of like treating people with respect, mm-hmm. even if sometimes like they might not want to hear yeah. what the truth is mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, or like it might be kind of painful yes. um, to hear the, the truth. But yes. I think like it's important to um, really approach that with um, 100% honesty and straightforwardness because that's really how I think you respect people. I think about it in terms of reasonability. Yeah. And there is in a public in public reason, right? In a public space, yeah. you have an obligation to listen to the argument of the other side of if that yeah. argument is reasonable. Even yes. if you don't agree with it, like you have to listen to yes. it. Like it is your yeah. duty. And take it seriously, yes. right? I mean, and one yes. of the things as a philosopher, like a huge important part of our training is like taking these arguments, mm. trying to interpret them as charitably as possible, especially as a historian of philosophy, yeah. right? The principle of charity. And you know, really trying to understand, get inside of that view. You may not agree with it, um, but really trying to understand it, it makes you a better interlocutor. It also makes you better at, you know, providing objections to arguments when you truly listen and understand them. Um, Because a a true objection is to the content of the argument, not an ad hominem or hurt feelings or whatever, right? Like to really, to really argue well, yeah. you do have to sort of listen and fully understand and really appreciate the, the other side. If only our society functioned. <laughs> Liz Goodnick, uh, incoming faculty senate president. What, do you have any closing comments, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if any people out there are faculty members, but um, join Senate. Yes. If you are senators, um, you know, I've learned that the real work of Senate gets done in those committees. Yeah. Um, it's also a great place. I've made like some amazing friends um, through my work in Senate. So yeah. just like I know we're all busy. And one of the things Bill and I have already talked about are trying to, you know, streamline and reduce some of the committee work. But joining those Senate committees is really super important. And we just really need people to um shoulder some of that burden so that we really can um, participate in shared governance in the institution. Nailed it. Liz, thank you so much. Of course. Happy new semester. Thanks. Thanks.